All right, so this morning I want you to um, start out and just take a few minutes and think about what you love about your neighborhood. So um, maybe for some of you, you just moved into the neighborhood. Think about what um, made you move into the neighborhood, what you love about it. If you've been here, you were born here, um, what makes you choose to want to stay in the neighborhood? Think about that. Is it the parks? Maybe um, the restaurants? Maybe it's the price of rent that brought you here. Maybe it's the culture of the neighborhood. Maybe it's the people. What do you love about your neighborhood? So over the past several years, I've spent a lot of time trying to think about how my faith and how striving to live like Jesus should affect all the choices in my life, the choices that I make. And um, so over many years, I grew up in the church, and so I, I was thinking about it. I think I've probably heard over a thousand different sermons. I've read books and gone to conferences. Um, I even went to college to get a study in biblical uh, uh, a degree in biblical studies um, to kind of help me make these choices and so what I was taught was that my faith should um, affect how I view and how I live and um, deal with money how I should um, deal with success and look at success um, how sex what role it plays in my life uh, rest what foods I choose to eat when and where and how I drink alcohol, it should affect what media I watch, um, how I do relationships, and the list goes on and on. And yet, when I think about it, I also have to become aware that I also grew up in America in a white evangelical church culture that um, also didn't address other areas that my faith should, um, should affect. And so, um, in the last couple of years, I've been thinking about the fact that I didn't really have um, a good biblical view of what my role should be in coming into a neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before, but is there a theology for moving into the neighborhood? So last month, um, Matt and I, we went to this conference, and uh, Matt and I went to a certain class that was led by um, two Christian leaders that we both really respect, Sujan Ra and Mark Charles. And they began their talk um, in a room of a couple of 100 people, and they began by asking if anybody in the room was from the three tribes of um, the indigenous people that once lived in Detroit where we were meeting. And so it was this moment where all of us, it was just got really quiet and real for a moment. And um, one man behind me stood up and said that he was from the Potawatomi tribe. And so Mark Charles, who is a Native American himself, he took the moment to thank the man and his people for their care for the land and its resources. And then just acknowledge that the place where we all sat was um, once his people's land. And so it was this really important moment, and it was really important for us to kind of set the tone for the rest of his teaching. So how do we move into a neighborhood? One of the realities of our church being a multi-ethnic church is that we have very different stories of what brought us and our families here to live into the neighborhoods that we live in. But what we have in common is that we are all a part of the family of God. And so as the family of God, what role does the neighborhood play into our lives? Have we really thought about that? 
So I've spent a lot of time recently um, watching interviews and episodes and um, speeches by Mr. Rogers. Um, my daughters have come in, is that Mr. Rogers again, Mom, really? I'm like, yeah. Um, so what I found out by um, watching all of this is that um, Mr. Rogers, um, his philosophy of child development didn't come from his education. So he didn't go to school for child development. He didn't go to school for education. He has a degree in music composition. So all the music that you hear, he, he um, wrote that himself. He wrote the words and the music. Um, he also had a degree in theology. So he went to school um, to be a, a pastor, a minister. He went to school even after um, he started this whole Mr. Rogers thing because um, that's a part of who he was. And so um, a, a, as I was watching the show in new, fresh ways and watching how he treated everybody he met, what I realized is he was very intentional. There was a reason why he chose for his show to be about a neighborhood. Because each day when Fred Rogers entered his front door, he was showing those people who were watching what it looks like for a member of the family of God to live in a neighborhood. He affirmed the dignity of everybody he met on the show, from people with special needs, from people um, from different ethnic groups, which would at the time have been new. It didn't happen on television. And everybody he met, he took the opportunity to learn from them. Each one of them had a strength that he wanted to learn from. And whenever he met somebody, he always wanted to be the learner. And each day, he reminded his listeners that they were lovable just the way they were. I watched an interview with Charlie Rose where he talked about how he woke up at 5.30 every day and spent two hours in prayer and, and meditation and silence and reading God's word to get him ready for work because it's where he got his understanding of what being a neighbor is all about. So last week, Alberto retold the story that Jesus told when he was asked the question, who is my neighbor? And today I want us to ask Jesus a question. I want this question to be, how do we move into a neighborhood? And to do that, I want us to begin by looking in the Gospel of John. And so before I put the slide up, I just want to talk about the Gospels, the four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk about Jesus' life. And we follow along and see they're writing their own eyewitness account to different audiences about what they saw Jesus in Jesus' life. But John starts in a different way. It's kind of a poetic way. Um, who Jesus is reminds us just in the beginning of his gospel, who Jesus is. And so you can put the slide up. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So it's interesting that John refers to Jesus as the Word. The Word that transcends even the Bible. It's the Word, Jesus, that was there in the beginning and was God and was with God. He was also creator of everything. And that in him is life. And then we're going to go to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Right? That's the whole message of the gospel, that Jesus, God's Son, is God, was there in the beginning, and yet let, left heaven to live among us. So I just want to talk for a minute about um, Bible translations. Um, if you've ever decided, I, I went in a new Bible and um, just looked on Amazon for a Bible, it's not an easy task, right? There's so many different choices you have. There's so many different translations, and what does that all mean, and why are there so many different translations? So I just want to talk about that for a minute. Um, so the Bible, ancient literature, ancient languages, it had to be translated into modern day um, different languages. And so for the English Bible, that means um, scholars over the years have looked at what those ancient words meant, tried to find the best translation. And many of you speak multiple languages. You know that can be really hard. It, there isn't always a direct um, comparison, but they're trying really hard to get the exact meaning word by word. That's a, a hard task, and sometimes when you do it, it's really hard to understand in the new language. So um, sometimes there are translations that are harder for us to understand. So for us, we usually use the NIV translation. It's kind of this combination between trying to get as close as they could to that original meaning, but also so that you can still understand it, right? Um, and if you've ever tried it and it's still a challenge for you, I often recommend the NIRV, which is new readers version. So I use it with kids, um, but I also look at it sometimes if I need a, a, to really make sure I'm understanding a passage. If you're a new reader in English or um, just you, you feel like you're new to the Bible reading it and it doesn't make any sense, maybe try that translation. So there's um, also translations that are just trying to get the idea of a whole passage. And one of those is the message. Okay, It's fairly new. Um, so I enjoy reading the message just for a fresh take on a passage that I'm really familiar with already. And so I, I will do that frequently. And so I did that for um, John chapter 1, verse 14. And here's what it says in the message. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You can put the slide on that for that. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. So I want us to look at how Jesus did that so that we can kind of learn what our role should be when we come into a neighborhood as well. So the first thing I want us to just talk about is why. Why did Jesus move into the neighborhood? Why did he leave heaven to come be here on earth with us? He left his place in heaven to bring change to the neighborhood, but not the type of change that benefits him, right? Sometimes um, that can happen when other people move into the neighborhood. They make a change that benefits them. That's not why Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He wanted to bring change to the neighborhood that was shalom, and that's that word that we keep coming back to over and over again. Shalom is this ancient Hebrew word that we see in the very beginning in Genesis when God creates the world and his creation. He uses this word shalom. And it's often translated as peace, but it means more than that. 
And what it means is this universal flourishing of all of God's creation, both the land and its resources and all of its people are universally flourishing. And that is what shalom means. And that is what Jesus came to bring and continues for us to bring. Remember, um, during the last series, we talked about the making of God's people that he wants us to join in partnership and working to bring shalom to this world, to our communities, to God's creation. And so I just want to talk about um, our role in God's creation. And I think it's really important that we talk about that because um, over the centuries, Christians have kind of um, had this idea of um, their role in creation as um, dominance. And I want to just talk about where that came from. Um, So um, it comes from Genesis chapter 1. Um, where it talks about where God is giving Adam and Eve their role for creation. And so um, we can read it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every single creature that moves on the ground. Write that, that verse, rule over. That kind of strikes you, Right? It makes you think, oh, okay, our job is to rule over. Um, What's interesting is that word is radah in Hebrew. Um, It's translated in the the King James Version. Um, If you have much experience with the King James Version, I'll just say it was um, translated in 1611. Um, It was um, sponsored by the King of England. Um, And we have to remember what was going on during 1611 the height of the age of exploration and colonization, certainly. So um, it certainly influenced how people saw their role in British people um, coming into lands and resources and people that were in those lands. And so the word that they translated for Radah was dominion, have dominion over the creation. And what that has happened over centuries is that Christians kind of justifying um, not taking care of the creation and people who are affected by the creation, um, our resources and the land's resources. And so what's interesting is when you look at that word, it could just as easily be translated as take care of. Take care of the fish take care of the birds, take care of the animals, take care of creation, right? That is the kind of ruler that Jesus is. He takes care of us. But over the years, we've seen different kinds of rule. Is it domination or is it to take care of creation and resources and land? And I believe that we are to take care of creation, like Jesus rules over us, he takes care of us. And I think that is also how we are supposed to look at neighborhoods. It's a place to take care of, not to dominate, not for our consumption, but a place to care for. So I'm going to get real for a minute here and um, just talk about the reality of our neighborhood and the neighborhoods that most of you um, live in, Upper Manhattan, lots of places in America, um, the issue of gentrification. 
where people are moving into the neighborhood and other people are being pushed out. So I think we just need to talk about that, the reality. And if neighborhoods aren't for our consumption, but instead for our care, then we need to care about how it affects other people when we move into the neighborhood. How does it affect the people that are already living in the neighborhood? So um, a book that I recently read by Michelle Warren discusses gentrification. Um, it's called The Power of Proximity, and I, I highly recommend the book. Um, it, she has a familiar story to me. So she um, was a white evangelical woman who moved into, her and her husband chose to work into, um, move into a neighborhood and work in a neighborhood that was under-resourced and really gripped with um, poverty. And she learned a lot through her time um, living in proximity to the poor. Um, she learned that she didn't have the answers. She learned that she didn't know a lot, that she um, was pretty broken herself. And she learned a lot about what, um, how poverty um, works in America. And it's interesting in her book, she retells the story that Alberto talked about last week, the parable of the good neighbor or the good Samaritan. But she kind of retells it in a different way, a new fresh way for me that I hadn't considered. She said, what if the story isn't just an, you know, one individual story about one man that Jesus came up with? What if it actually is a story with systematic issues surrounding it that happen all over the world for all time. And then it started to seem very familiar. And she said, what if um, the reason why the, the road wasn't safe was because there were systematic issues at play? What if the reason why um, crime was happening, where he was getting jumped by robbers, why, what if that was happening because of systematic issues? And she um, even talked about gentrification, how that would look on the road um, that the Good Samaritan was on. She said, um, it, with gentrification, what happens is we try to clean up, clean up the road, right? Make it pretty. But then what happens is the people that are beaten along the road get pushed out. They don't get to enjoy the safe, pretty new road. And so um, what happens is the Levite and the priest, they don't have to step over the beaten up people anymore. They just get to enjoy the fresh, clean, new street while others are being somewhere else where we don't have to see. If the neighborhood isn't for us to dominate, then we need to care about the people that are already in the neighborhood. And I have to be honest, I really struggle with this. I moved into the neighborhood five or seven years ago with my family. And when we did, we rented an apartment that we love. Um, and we didn't really fully understand that paying the rent that we were asked to pay for um, was illegal and um, was breaking housing laws. Uh, that when we did it, it let the owners of our building encourage them to push out people who live in our building, our neighbors. Um, and that is happening all over our community and uh, all over America that just paying the, um, what we can pay and others can't pay is pushing other people out. Right now, my youngest daughter is applying for high school in New York City. Um, if you aren't from New York City, um, let me tell you that that process is difficult. Um, it's this competitive process where public schools, where kids are competing 
to go to public schools. Why is it so competitive? Because there aren't enough good high schools that have things that other places in America you just get, like sports and arts and um, technology and clean, safe buildings and things like that. There aren't enough schools like that in New York City. And so there's this competitive process um, to get into the schools that thousands of kids want to get into and deserve to get into. And I hate the process. I've done it three times, and I hate it every time. Um, I, and I, I am not good to be around. I'm a little grumpy through the process, because um, there's lots of reasons why I don't like it. It's a pain, first of all. But more than that, it messes with me. It messes with me because I want um, Clara to get a spot in one of those good schools. But what that means is, if she gets a spot, lots and lots of kids don't get a spot. And that messes with me. I care about where Clara goes to school, but I am called to care about where every kid in my neighborhood goes to school. And so I'm forced to ask myself, how did I move into the neighborhood? And how do I care for it now that I'm here? So how did Jesus come into the neighborhood? What was his approach? What was his attitude? Well, Paul talks to the church in Philippi in his letter to the um, Philippians. He talks about what their attitude should be. And he isn't addressing um, just what it's like to move into the neighborhood. He's saying what your attitude should be in relationships in general. But it's interesting to think about that Philippi would have been a city, a multi-ethnic church community where people are coming and going. Um, certainly this was at play. But this is what he says in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 3, and we have a slide for that. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's Jesus' mindset? It says, who being in the very nature was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus moved into the neighborhood to care for it and its people. But that required that he share his life with his neighbors. He couldn't get it done by living far away. He gave up power and privilege to be with us. He moved into the neighborhood, and it required that he humble himself. And I believe that's true for us as well. If we're moving into a neighborhood, we need to humble ourselves. And how do we do that? We need to recognize that we are not saving anybody. We need to be saved ourselves. We are broken people, and all of us need a savior. Humility is the opposite of pride. It requires that we put ourselves in the position of learner and receiver from people that we aren't taught by society have the answers. But Jesus did this all the time. 
When you look at the story that um, every good children's pastor um, likes to tell of when Jesus is teaching, you find it in Matthew and Mark and Luke, the story where Jesus is teaching like he did so often, and he's going and he's healing people, and he's teaching, and and Jesus' leaders are around him, and all these kids keep coming, right? Parents keep bringing these kids and like, bless my baby, and and these kids are all over the place, and they're like, the the leaders, Jesus' friends are like, get these kids out of here, they're in the way. They're in the way of the business here, right? Jesus has things to do. And Jesus corrects them and says, let the little children come to me. And then what he says, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, you guys need to learn from the kids. If you want to get the heart of my kingdom, you be like these kids. You learn from them. And that would have been shocking. These are adult men. They're leaders, right? They were handpicked. We don't learn from kids. Kids learn from us. But that is what Jesus did over and over again, right? This upside-down kingdom where he is um, raising and elevating people that society doesn't. He, you know, shows up to the shepherds. He picks fishermen. He uses women and elevates women over and over again. Society pushes them down. Jesus elevates them and says, learn Learn from them. Mr. Rogers says it this way. We have a slide. It says, all of us at some time or other need help. Whether we're giving or receiving help, each of us has nothing valuable to bring to this world. Has something, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Mr. Rogers, I'm sorry. (laughs) We each have something to bring. That... That's the one of the things that connects us as neighbors, that in our way, in our own way, each of us is a giver and a receiver. So um, the very first close relationship that I made when I moved into this neighborhood um, was my daughter Lily's best friend's mother, Karina. Um, Some of you might have gotten the um, chance to meet her. She was a part of our church for a while before she moved away. And she was just a great neighbor to me. She taught me about the neighborhood. Um, she lived here all her life. She taught me about Dominican culture. She introduced me to her friends and relationships. She also t- taught me how to hug. Literally gave me a lesson on hugging because my Midwestern ways were just not cutting it here at church. Um, she literally had to, her and a friend show me how to hug because she noticed that I was doing this thing where I was like, hug and then I would like be like okay and I would be like pat 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 on the back like signal I'm done here and um, she's like you got to stop doing that (laughs) and so she you know showed me how to hug so if you've received a hug from me lately um, you can you can thank Karina because she taught me how to hug in a proper um, inward way um, that everybody feels love from And I so appreciate all the lessons that Karina taught me, that she was patient um, with my, um, maybe even my bias, maybe even um, the biases that I came into, certainly my um, lack of knowledge of culture. She was patient, and she, um, I just appreciate her so much and what she taught me. Mr. Rogers says this, I'll try to do it right this time, he says, I believe, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. 
that when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at that moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. So for those of us who have recently moved into the neighborhood, we need to humble ourselves and realize that we have a lot to learn from the people who have lived here before us. The people that have struggled and fought and loved and worked to make this a community that we want to be a part of. We need to learn from the churches and the nonprofits who have been working here for a long time and have done the hard work of justice and healing for years. And we need to encourage them and to be encouraged and to work together with them. We need to live with our neighbors, sharing life with them, because we need them in our lives. That's why Jesus came to the neighborhood, because he wanted to be with us. He couldn't do it from far away. He had to be close to us. And, and our cares and our concerns were his cares and concerns. And he lived so close to humanity that that is how his cares and concerns became, um, our cares and concerns became his because he was so close. He, he lived our life. And when we live in proximity, when we live not just physically near our neighbors, but also relationally near to our neighbors, we care about what they care about. We worry about what they worry about. When we live in proximity like Jesus did, we get close enough that we're burdened by the injustice we find in the neighborhood. So next week, Matt is going to speak on how we address, as a church, the injustice we find. But today, I just want to focus on relationships. We talk a lot about life-changing relationships at Everyday Church, that we believe that our relationship with God changes our lives, but also our relationships with one another. They also change our lives. And I believe that Jesus shows us that the importance of being in a relationship is why he moved into a neighborhood. And when we have life-changing relationships with our neighbors, it changes us. And we're prepared to do the humbling work of bringing change to the neighborhood. So what if we all looked at neighbors with the humility and care that Jesus showed us when he moved into the neighborhood? What if we all lived our lives saying together, I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. We're together. So we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, please be my neighbor. Let's pray.